Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Quirky HR. I'm very excited because we're talking to another HR consultant that does small business HR consulting. We're speaking with Carolyn Ross, and she owns Ross Insight Solutions. Carolyn, welcome to Quirky HR. Thanks for having me. So you have an interesting background, and now you work as an independent consultant. So I would love for people to learn what was your career trajectory into human resources? Sure. So, um, yes, I started out as a lawyer. I I actually studied business and psychology. I was a psych major and a business minor in college, but with the intention of going to law school. And I went through law school and I practiced law in a general practice for about eight to nine years. Um, and I, I also owned my own family mediation business, which was one of the first mediation businesses in the Northeast. Most people didn't even know what mediation was back then. It was quite a while ago. Um, and in my law practice, I did a variety of types of work, but not employment law. But um, after about seven or eight years of practice, I decided I wanted to change careers uh, and decided to go into human resources work. So that was 25 years ago. And I've been in HR for 25 years in a variety of industries, um, worked my way up to the senior you know, CHRO level, VP of HR, CHRO level. And the last several jobs was at, at that level. And then in June, left my last in-house role in healthcare and decided to start my own HR consulting practice, Ross Insight Solutions. How is it with your new business? How are you feeling about your new business? Good. It's going great. I love doing it. Um, I love working with small and medium-sized businesses, helping them, I I say, transform your business through your people. And um, that's really what my focus is, to help them either put in place HR practices or improve their existing HR practices to to make their people practices more effective. Um, So I want to get your uh, opinion on some of like the trends that have come out of the pandemic, like this idea of stay interviews and the comp issues that we're seeing, how does all of that tie into culture and employee engagement? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it, that's a really good question because I think um, stay interviews Stay interviews are an element of retention work and engagement work, which is really about employee communication. You know, how much are you talking to your employees and giving them the opportunity to talk to you, not just sending out a once a year, you know, feedback survey, but really engaging with them so that they have a voice and understand what's going on with the business and why. And that contributes to a culture of engagement and a culture, you know, where there's higher retention. and in terms of the compensation challenges, I guess we could say that are happening lately, um, you know, salary and pay, you know, pay, whatever type of pay is important, um, but it's not the most important. I mean, studies have shown over many years that people will stay where they're happiest. And in fact, um, a recent Gallup survey actually showed that 56% of employees consider company culture more important than salary. And, you know, and, and, you know, there's been this saying for many years that um, employees leave their bosses, they leave their manager, not not for more money. They may tell the manager it's for more money, but that's only because they don't want to burn bridges. 
Um, I do think since the great resignation and all of the post-pandemic changes, people are jumping more quickly for pay uh, because they see opportunities as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's not what's going to keep them and make them happy. It's really interesting to me. I feel like in our field of work, you learn about things like diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's a big push for employers right now. And culture, and that's a big push for employers right now. And it's it's like we know the things that help support positive engagement, positive employee culture. Why do people, and even some HR professionals, still get that wrong? Um. I think there's, they're going too fast in a sense. They want to focus on sales and productivity and um, how much money is the company making, right? How much are they bringing in? And that's all important. But if they don't put people first and stop and slow down and focus on that aspect of it, then the culture is as I like to say, it's sort of accidental rather than intentional. And, you know, I do tell my clients, you can create a deliberate culture. That's um, what you decide it should be based on your mission, your values, and also based on productivity and success. Um, but they do show, studies show that engaged employees are are far more productive, Um you know, create far better client or customer relations or better products and services, et cetera. Yeah. I just always find it interesting that so many of these things become kind of like social trends in a way. And as an, as an industry, we've been learning about them forever and there's the data that backs it up and the studies that back it up. And we still continue to not quite get it right. Yes. (laughs) And and I'm telling uh, the small businesses that I'm talking to, I gave a a talk last week to a number of about 70 small business owners. And, you know, I'm telling them that um, you have an opportunity to do this. And just as you focus on sales and you focus on finance, you need to have a focus on HR too. And in some cases, they don't even have an HR function, but they wouldn't go without a finance or a sales function. Right. So um, those are things that, you know, once they get to a handful of employees or more, they should start to put some focus and effort into. So you focus specifically on the small business market. We do too in our consulting company. And so I want to talk a little bit about what do you see with the clients that you're working with doing right in terms of culture? Um, It varies quite a bit, but those that are doing it well, you know, they are having those dialogues regularly with their employees. They're having conversations about what's going well, what could be better, you know, how how is your your workload, the tools you need, um, you know, what keeps you here? Would you recommend the company to somebody else to work here? Um, <clears throat> excuse me, those types of things. So I think that's important. In most cases, they haven't stopped and sort of thought about what is our culture supposed to be, but they're doing it well organically. Yeah, and, but that fit uh, is there. Right. 
Exactly. And they're being more cautious about hiring. So I have one client that they acknowledge they're hiring almost anyone because they think they just need warm bodies, right? They need somebody to put out that fire in the immediate term, but it's not always working out well because they're not necessarily hiring the right person. Um, and so I'm working with my clients too, to talk about their hiring process and how are they finding candidates and how are they making those selections so that those people are part of that culture they're intentionally trying to create. Yeah. It's that fit, right? Cultural fit. And, and it's making sure somebody feels like they belong in the place that they're working. Right. And onboarding is a big piece of that. So we sure. we often, with my clients, I often move from, from policies because they need to have those in place or have good ones, you know, updated ones, but then into those conversations about how are we hiring and who are we hiring and then how are we onboarding them and making them a part of that culture and making them um, productive as quickly as possible, but also understanding what they're a part of and why. So they feel engaged in the success of the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much, I mean, culture and, and belonging and all of that stuff. There's so much to talk about in terms of that side of things. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your consulting business. So we do have listeners who are working nine to five and want to start a consulting business um, or who are new in their consulting businesses. And I would love to hear from you about, you know, what was that experience like for you? You had been self-employed already, but going from working in healthcare to doing your own consulting gig. Yeah, I hadn't been self-employed in a lot of years, so it was a little scary at first, to be honest. Um, it was a big leap for me um, to say, okay, I'm going to put aside the the uh, assurance of a salary and benefits, you know, that are group benefits through the company and all of those pieces, and just kind of knowing where to show up every day and what's expected of me and having to figure it out myself. I was very lucky that I encountered somebody who has her own consulting business and was willing to sort of mentor me and, and connect me with some, some people that were helpful. And I just started networking like crazy. I've joined a number of networking groups and guested it and visited at others and talking to as many people as I can anywhere and everywhere that I can do that. Um, mostly small business owners, B2B networking groups, um, but also other HR people. I actually co-founded recently an HR networking group for HR leaders in my ge geographic region, south of Boston, between Boston and, and Rhode Island. Um, and uh, that's grown to 30 people in three, three months since we launched it. And um, so just connecting with people as much as possible, which I really enjoy doing, and then figuring out, okay, what are those core pieces that I want as part of my business? Having somebody do a website for me so that it would help, you know, with credibility that my business is, is a true business and not just somebody who's doing consulting for the moment because they don't have other opportunities. Um, you know, I kind of went all in, but it feels great. I'm really enjoying it. It was definitely worth the, the chance to do it. The chance. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. I feel like people are like, you start your own business, you get to make your own schedule. And it's not like that at all. Um, no, but in it's, fact, you work a lot. <laughs> yeah. I would say to people, I'm like, I'm at the mercy of my clients. So if they have a problem at three o'clock in the afternoon, we have to respond and be available for it. So yeah, it's, it's hectic, but it's fun. Hectic. Yeah. Variety is what I, Friday and constant reminders of job security. Yes. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Especially lately. Um, I want to talk about your past in mediation because I find that really fascinating. And um, I feel like HR professionals are taught how to, how to negotiate, you know, you're negotiating with candidates, but the idea of mediating a conflict or mediating, uh, you know, a situation that just needs resolution in the workplace, like what for, for mediation as like a, a skill, right. How, um, is it something that HR professionals should be studying in their coursework or, or do classwork on? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that's a great idea. Um, So when I started in mediation um, many, many years ago, I went through a training program. Um, And obviously that was focused on family matters, divorces primarily. Um, But the skills are transferable to a lot of situations. And it really is about helping people um, communicate better about conflict and resolve conflicts, ideally. Now, part of that is making sure that each side is heard and understood. And um, certainly those issues could be um, coming up in a workplace environment. And I have used mediation in a workplace environment. I've sat with managers who had to work together and couldn't get along. I've sat with manager and employee who couldn't get along. I think anyone in in HR has had those experiences. And certainly, you know, a lot of it's about listening, making sure each person has the opportunity, as I said, to be heard. But a lot of it is also about problem solving. And um, people often ask me um, about my law background, how that must be a great background in HR. You must use that a lot. And I say, no, actually, I use I I do. But I use my mediation background even more because it's about finding as many possible solutions to an issue as you can and then helping people figure out which is the best one for this situation. Um, so those types of problem solving skills come into play all the time in HR and we do it naturally, I think. Oh, I, I agree. I, I have situations all the time where employees come to me to complain about their manager. And really the ideal solution is to have a, an honest sit down mediated conversation with their manager. Yeah, it surprises me how many people are afraid to just be honest mm-hmm. with each other in a workplace context. Mm-hmm. Uh, managers too, they'll say, I don't know, should I tell them blah, blah, blah? And I'll say, yes, why not? You know, mm-hmm. it's how you say it. And we'll talk about that. What's the best way to approach something that might be difficult to talk about? Um, but yes, I think honesty is a good way to set the tone in any work relationship. Yeah. And it's it's healthy conflict, right? It's someone being able to communicate their boundaries and their needs and someone being able to respond. Yes, exactly. And this all goes back to, you know, you asked about standard views. It kind of goes back to workplace communication. How is that communication happening? Is it two-way? Is it comfortable for both sides? And when there are conflicts or it's not comfortable, are they involving somebody, a third party, like an HR person, um, an HR consultant or in-house HR if they have that to help resolve those issues rather than letting it continue and then it snowballs. HR gets a bad rap in a lot of places. And there's this often this assumption that HR is just for the employer. They're only there for the best interest of the employer. And I'm curious how you can reframe that for other HR departments, business leaders uh, on how HR can be utilized. And communicated about. 
And I think that's part of culture too. Um, and it often comes from the top. How does management see and executive leadership see HR and how do they involve them? And how how much opportunity is there for HR to be involved in the day-to-day with employees? I think the more HR leaders and um, HR staff are out there talking to employees, getting to know them, spending time in their team meetings or, um, you know, on the floor in, in the work environment, you know, really talking to and even working with people, um, the more trusted they can become. And it's also an opportunity for HR folks, even if they're coming in as a consultant to say, look, I'm here for you too. I'm, I'm the neutral. I'm the, I'm the mediator, right? I'm the balance between the employer and the employee and trying to help everybody to be as effective and productive as they can be together. What would a small business owner do if they had a culture that was unintended and they yeah. want to correct it? You know, how, how long does that take and what, what can they do in those situations? That's a great question. I think um, it's interesting because I've read and heard that culture shift takes three to five years, but I think small business owners are at an advantage. I think that's true in large organizations, very large ones particularly. Um, but in a small organization, it it doesn't take as long. You don't have layers and layers of management to get that message through. Um, you have the opportunity to touch you know, more directly talk to your employees individually and in smaller groups. So I think the first step is involving someone like yourself or myself, you know, bringing in an HR consultant and having someone sit with you and talk about what do we want that culture to be? Again, look at your mission or your strategy, look at your values. If you, whether they're stated or not, you can come to the table and create that if you haven't. Um, what's important and what's going to help the employees be most successful so that the company is most successful. And then find ways of infusing that throughout the organization. Again, meeting with people, talking about it, making sure anyone who is in a management or supervisory role understands it and buys into it. Ideally, there should be buy-in from the beginning. Um, It shouldn't just be top-down. It should be involving people. What would they like to see as those values, as those key elements of the culture and you know how do they want to make that real so it's not all on senior management i often tell senior leaders you don't have to make all the decisions you have a whole team here but you have to trust them and involve them um and then as a group you can make those decisions and create a, a path forward yeah i always say hr is not a decision maker we are a a consultant a consultancy division an advisor, yes. An advisor, yes, absolutely. Exactly. Uh, um, I often see situations where managers notice a toxic culture or notice a culture that requires some addressing and it's because it's impacting them and they are willing to put the work into it and willing to come up with ideas, but the top, top layers of the organization are the challenges in convincing that there's an issue. Have you seen that in your career? And do you have any kind of thoughts on how to manage those situations? Yeah, I I have seen that. And I think there again, the HR consultant, we're coming in from outside. We can come in and say, hey, here's what we see. And here's what we're hearing. Or maybe we ask that senior leader, 
or leaders, um, can we take the temperature of your organization? Uh, give us the opportunity to talk to some folks, whether it's management or staff or both. Um, and maybe we don't talk to everybody. Maybe we take a sampling depending on the size of the organization, but we talk to people and we say, what's going well? You know, tell me about your job. What do you love about it? What what could be better? Um, how is management? How do you view senior management? And sometimes they get some uncomfortable information there, but it can help them to understand what could be improved and then, you know, help them to think about, um, you know, what do they want the organization to be? If they want the organization to thrive and grow and be more um, financially successful, this is the way to do it. And so I think a conversation with somebody coming in from outside who has, you know, doesn't have to live there, as I say, you know, doesn't have to be there to work with people every day. Those tough messages can be easier coming from someone like us. And we're seen as an expert too. So that's valuable too. Absolutely. Um, any, any other thoughts on how small businesses can address, improve, tackle, shift their internal culture? Um, no, I think the core message is do it intentionally, right? Not accidentally. And, you know, involve people have two-way communication, um, and, you know, make a deliberate intent of what you want it to be, a deliberate decision, and then work towards that. It doesn't happen overnight, but I don't think it has to take three to five years. I think it's something that you can shape even, um, and I've said even from the job posting right through the full employee life cycle um, in how you word things and how you communicate. Fantastic. Carolyn, where can listeners connect with you? Um, they're welcome to visit my website, which is rossinsightsolutions.com. And they can also find me on LinkedIn. I think you'll be sending out information on how to find both my website and my LinkedIn page. And I also do have a Facebook page uh, for Ross Insight Solutions. So they can find that as well if they're on Facebook. Fantastic. And of course, we'll make sure that all of the places that you can connect with Carolyn are in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for listening to Quirky HR. Carolyn, thank you so much for being on and we'll catch you next time.